You're listening to Heart Sounds from the Pulse of Cardiology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the October edition of Heart Sounds. I'm your host, Shelley Wood, the managing editor at TCTMD. It's that time again. We're gearing up for the annual TCT conference held this year in Denver, Colorado. I wrote a blog post for our editor's corner, looking at some of the bigger trials, topics, and themes expected at this year's meeting. I hope you'll check that out. Unlike many of our colleagues at the Cardiovascular Research Foundation, who work to pull together this conference year-round, the news team at TCTMD really gets busy after we land in Denver. The exceptions to that are two journalists in my group, Laura McEwen and Caitlin Cox, who for some time now have been planning and writing many of the stories and features that will appear in the on-site daily magazine. Hopefully you're already packing your bags for Denver, and we'll get to check out some of their work in print. If you're not going to be at TCT this year, that's too bad. The next best thing will be reading about all the big studies on TCTMD.com, where we'll also have our live blog with breaking news, sights, and sounds from the meeting floor. TCTMD, of course, is also the place to find slides, cases, and live streaming, both during and after the meeting. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'll give you a bit of a TCT teaser later in this podcast, but first, let's take a look at a few audio highlights from October. Let's start with a study Yael Maxwell covered earlier this month. This joins a long succession of stories we've done looking at disparities in care between men and women. One day, I hope we can close this series down for good, but for that to happen, we'll need to keep telling you about the research being done in this space. This particular study by Fraser Rubens and colleagues at the Ottawa Heart Institute was based on a review of nearly 20,000 patients who underwent bypass surgery there between 1990 and 2015. Over this period, the internal thoracic artery emerged as the conduit of choice during cabbage, the authors note, with strong evidence supporting bilateral use, or beta. What researchers found, however, is that while use of beta rose in both groups over the 25-year period, it increased more in men than in women. In terms of sheer numbers, women were significantly less likely to receive coronary revascularization using multi-arterial grafts than men, and more likely to receive saphenous vein grafts, which are now well-established as the less durable option. Researchers as well as outside experts who spoke with Yael about this study stress that this is likely an issue related to the age at which women end up heading to surgery. Here's Kendra Grubb from the University of Louisville in Kentucky commenting on the study for Yael. I think it starts long before the patient gets to the cardiac surgeon. Um, I I don't think it's necessarily the surgeon that's making um, the distinction in gender. I think it starts from the the delay in diagnosis um, that we have seen um, that the patients have further progression of their disease by the time they present and are diagnosed. Um, Female uh, patients often are seen by many specialists before they finally are um, uh, seen by a cardiologist who then goes through the steps to diagnose coronary artery disease, where their male counterparts are, um, that that diagnosis is much higher on the differential, and so they're taken to the cath lab earlier, uh, they're put on beta blockers, aspirin, statin, um, the appropriate management, frontline management, much earlier than uh, the female patients. And so I don't think it's a surgical solution. I don't think once the patient gets to the surgeon and is diagnosed with coronary artery disease that we are turning them away or making them delay. It's when are they entering the system. And I think that's what we really need to be looking at is are there other signs or symptoms that uh, women are, are, are going to uh, 
need to have to trigger a system so that coronary artery disease is higher on the differential Mm -hmm. so that they are getting timely treatment in the same fashion that their male counterparts are. TCTMD reporter Michael Reardon looked into a meta-analysis published in JAMA Internal Medicine earlier this month that compared coronary CTA with functional stress testing. U.S. and European guidelines say that both diagnostic strategies can be used in patients with suspected coronary artery disease, while recent NICE guidelines in the United Kingdom prioritized the use of coronary CTA as a first-line test in these patients. This new analysis found that among nearly 20,000 subjects in 13 studies, coronary CTA was associated with a reduction in the incidence of MI, but also increased downstream use of invasive coronary angiography and revascularization. Speaking with Mike, lead author Andrew Foy of Penn State College of Medicine in Hershey was less impressed with the MI reduction than he was worried about the add-on tests and procedures. According to Foy, the decreased MI signal was, quote, relatively weak and disappeared if the large Scotthart study was excluded from the analysis. Here's Foy. You know, I think that individual clinicians and even researchers are going to bring their own biases into how a study like this is interpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, biases aside, you know, what we can say about the findings is that the increase in downstream procedures, ca- cardiac catheterization and revascularization, is a strong signal and it's a large effect size, especially mm-hmm. if it's applied on a population level. Mm -hmm. So there's really little doubt in that finding from my standpoint. Mike also spoke to Ron Blankstein of the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, who was more persuaded by the MI finding. Blankstein offered the theory that many listeners may have heard before, namely that seeing coronary disease on CTA may push physicians and patients to do more to prevent events and that this leads to fewer MIs. You know, we think much of this is because of better preventive therapies, uh, and the reason for this is CT by design can detect plaque that would not be seen by a functional test because a functional test is only supposed to detect plaque that's actually limiting the blood flow. So you're basically seeing more coronary disease even in cases where it's, it's uh, not flow limiting uh, or non-obstructive, and as a result, uh, clinicians are acting on those tests more and prescribing more preventive therapies. But in some cases, revascularization may also uh, potentially lower the risk of uh, MI as well. That probably plays a smaller role. TCTMD's Todd Neal has worked for weeks on an in-depth feature looking at how direct industry sponsorship of individual physicians is winding down in Europe. As you'll know if you've been following this issue, MedTech Europe, the trade association that represents medical device companies there, voted in late 2015 to adopt a new code of ethical business practice. Some of this code has already taken effect, things like stricter rules around how industry funds educational grants. The biggie, however, is the elimination of direct sponsorship of physicians and other healthcare professionals traveling to attend conferences and other CME activities. That important piece will go into effect January 1, 2018. For now, it's unclear what impact the policy change will have, but medical society leaders and conference organizers involved in cardiology meetings both in Europe and the United States expressed concerns to Todd about a potential drop-off in attendance if industry isn't footing the travel bill. 
This may be particularly worrisome, they said, during the first half of 2018, as the new system takes effect. Here's Michael Hauda, president of the European Association of Percutaneous Cardiovascular Interventions, explaining to Todd how the new process will work and what the potential impact might be. The whole story is depending on the fact whether the industry partners are willing to expand the same amount of money or for the future maybe even more money for these unbiased congresses in order to go over different channels to the uh, attendees being invited via grant systems. That is for me the major point. If industry now turns down the donation of money to these kind of congresses, then of course we have a significant problem. Because you can consider even, let's say, if a company has given a thousand euro so far when in order to invite, let's say, two, three, four people to go to TCT. Now the company is no longer doing directly. The company is doing via a third party. The third party out of these thousand euros needs a substantial amount. And I think it will be in the range of minimum 15 to 25 percent for handling purposes, for managing purposes, which, which then probably will, will turn down the number of attendees from four to three. And that is, that is the point, you see, which is, which is coming on top of it. Todd also spoke with Jeffrey Coven of the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Coven is chair of the ACC's 2017 and 2018 scientific sessions, and he made the point that similar policies preventing industry from directly paying for physician conference attendance have been in place in the United States for many years. I think it's gonna, we're going to see how it plays itself out. I think you know, the way that it works in the United States, that there's no direct funding of physicians, makes sense to us that there is a separation between industry and individual support. Having said that, um, meetings like ours, organizations like the ACC uh, and around the world really do covet the uh, relationship with industry because I think it furthers everyone's education and ability to um, work together towards our common goal and that is to fight heart disease. So I think that you know appropriate relationships between industry and societies and organizations um, are worthy, but they have to um, be uh, at an appropriate level where everyone feels comfortable. So I think the United States has done a nice job at sort of separating this, but realizing that um, we all have to work towards a common goal. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the international communities are continuing to work towards that, uh, and we'll have to see how that has an impact both nationally as well as internationally. I myself haven't had the chance to sink my teeth into any big stories this month. Like Caitlin and Laura, I've had my own share of duties related to the upcoming TCT meeting. In my case, that means figuring out what the big news will be and how my team will cover it. I was in New York earlier this month and managed to get some of the TCT course directors and co-directors in the studio with me to film our regular current affairs program on record and to tell me what to expect at TCT this year. To watch the whole video or find previous episodes of the show, head to the video tab at tctmd.com. For now, have a listen to a bit of the audio from that show. I've done some editing to keep it succinct. Here, I've just asked Greg Stone of New York Presbyterian Hospital and Columbia University what he's looking forward to most at TCT 2017. So uh, uh, the late breakers, I think, you know, we always say the heart of TCT are the late breaking uh, new clinical evidence, the abstracts, and of course, all the cases. So it's experience plus evidence. 
And I think the late breakers are particularly strong this year. There's a lot to discuss. There's uh, uh, looking at the quality of life outcomes from the XL trial. Uh, so there's a lot on left main. There's learning the best techniques to manage the distal left main bifurcation. That's the DK Crush 5 randomized trial. Should we be using a specific two stent technique or a one stent technique? There's a whole host of new data on bioresorbable scaffolds. Right. And this is going to be very interesting because, of course, the, the absorbed scaffold has been withdrawn recently by the manufacturer, but that's because we've been having an increased incidence of early events. Right. So we're going to learn why those events are occurring. We're going to learn which technique aspects can improve the outcomes. And three years is when the scaffolds pretty much disappeared. So that's kind of will show you what we need to overcome. We then have the absorbed four 30-day data, an even larger randomized trial where we used better technique. Yeah. So we'll see if better technique, in particular avoiding very small vessels, makes a difference. And you think people will care about this? They still care? Even well, I, I think they will care. First right. of all, I think most interventionalists still believe that bioresorbable scaffolds are the future. We just need better technique and, in particular, better devices. There's one also randomized trial, uh, one of the late breakers that I'm curious about, and I think it's the Orbita. It's a sham control yeah, yeah. PCI trial. It's pretty exciting for an interventional cardiology meeting to have a, a randomized trial that's randomizing patients to PCI or a sham procedure with, I think, stable coronary disease. So. Right. So it's, it's only a 200-patient trial, but okay. we've learned that the placebo effect, the Hawthorne effect, basically can very powerfully influence how patients and providers think that they will do with any drug or any procedure. Yeah. So this is the first sham-controlled PCI trial. Only 200 patients, but with primary endpoints of both quality of life and exercise performance to see if patients really do feel better okay. with PCI compared to medical therapy. So that will be very interesting. That's all you're going to get from this, the October 2017 edition of Heart Sounds. I'm hoping to see many of you in person in Denver next week. Drop me a line if you're doing something interesting in the program that you think the TCTMD news team should know about. I've been invited to participate in two sessions at TCT, both of them addressing the role of social media in medicine. That should be interesting. I'm not used to sitting on that side of the stage at these meetings. Wish me luck. As I mentioned, I'll be experimenting with a live blog in Denver. So check that out for bite-sized breaking news and links to our in-depth stories. You should also be sure to follow the TCTMD news team on Twitter. You can find those handles via our bios at tctmd.com. Thanks for listening to Heart Sounds. Tell all your friends to subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. No one should find him or herself stuck in traffic, flying across the country, or lining up for Black Friday shopping deals without the chance to listen to some captivating cardiology tidbits narrated by yours truly. Heart Sounds is just one of three podcasts we produce at TCTMD. The others are Talking Points with Michael Gibson and TCT Radio, our roundtable talks recorded live at the annual TCT meeting. Speaking of that, I've got some packing to do myself. Bye for now. Hello, everyone. This is Josh Hartman, Executive Director of the Center for Education at CRF, sponsor of TCT. TCT 2017 is only a few days away, and we look forward to seeing many of you there. Please make sure to stop by CRF Central on the meeting room level to learn all about CRF and TCTMD. Also, be sure to stop up and see the PCI 40 TAVR 15 anniversary exhibit on the exhibit level to see the history of interventional cardiology come to life and learn from the legends. Have a great TCT.